My name is Klaus Rosten, and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. You're listening to the business of extraordinary experiences. Today, we're going to be talking about how the coronavirus has impacted yet another industry, this time the escape room industry. And if you're not familiar with what escape rooms are, don't worry, we'll get to that. But with me today, I have one of the people who must be said to know most about this in the world, David Spira, one of the founders of Escape Room Artists some years back, may not be the host of the place to go on the internet for escape rooms, but at least one of the places to go. And if I remember correctly, David, it's something like you've been at like 800 plus escape rooms. It's some sort of stupid number. Uh, yes, Klaus, it is. Uh, I've played a silly number of escape rooms. The website is Room Escape Artist, um, which was a wordplay that at this point has it has actually been confused because the industry switched from being called room escapes back in like 2014 to escape rooms and we just roll with it. <laughs> so first of all, thanks for joining me today, David. And the, the first question I want to get right off the bat, just for those who have no clue out there, tell me in a one minute explanation, what is an escape room that used to be called room escape? Uh, so escape rooms are immersive experiences with a time limit for a small group of people to come and solve puzzles and enjoy an adventure together. Uh, they tend to be about an hour. They tend to cost about $30, 30 euros, plus or minus a little bit. Um, and they tend to be puzzle focused. But there are many thousands of escape rooms all over the world, and you can find some that lean more towards board games, more towards LARPs, dive real deep into puzzles and forget that they're making an immersive experience otherwise, or lean more into the theatrics. So there's all sorts of different types of escape rooms out there. And the way that we approach it as reviewers is we try to help people find the right games for them and their tastes. And pulling a couple of key facts away from that very short and very nice presentation, especially Corona-related, is that escape rooms are usually about people being locked into a room physically and needing to solve some puzzle to escape it. Not all of them, I know, but but mm -hmm. in general, that's that's where we're at. Now, obviously, this has been a little bit hard due to people not being allowed to be locked into rooms with strangers. How has the industry fared during Corona times? And I'm not talking, you don't need specific numbers, but tell us the, yep. give us the big picture. So there's a few different things going on here. First is um, escape rooms went through their own crisis uh, about a year and a half ago when there was a fire in Poland that killed a, uh, a few participants. Uh, it was a very grim scene. I'll spare you the details. Suffice it to say, as a general rule, escape rooms aren't physically locking people into rooms anymore in the way that they used to. Um, even by the time that fire was happening, um, that was not the trend was was aggressively away from that. Um, but confinement and small spaces and playing in groups absolutely is. Um, and in that regard, most of the world, um, with the exception really of the United States and mainland China, um, have moved away from this public uh, ticketing approach. So almost anywhere in Europe that you go to play an escape room, even before coronavirus, you would have found that you were only playing with the people that you were planning to play with. There are, there are variations. There are games that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, Crystal Maze in London. Um, but there are, I, 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 
I could name one or two, but in the US, I could name probably about half of the uh, companies here are, are up until coronavirus, we're still offering uh, public ticketed games. So basically, what we're seeing broad strokes, even before, even as lockdown, as lockdowns were starting to happen in other parts of the world, in the US, um, we were seeing a shift to private ticketing everywhere. So that's the that that is the first big shift that we've seen. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about the private uh, versus public ticketing um, is that they're prevalent in the U.S. and in China. At least they were for two really different reasons. Um, and I, in the U.S., it was just a function of that's kind of where we started, and a lot of companies followed that trend. It was perceived as um, as, as more financially viable, although we've we've spoken to plenty of owners who have said the shift to public uh, from public to private ticketing, um, they made more money off of private ticketing. Um, in China, the interesting thing about them was that escape rooms, uh, the escape room industry is huge in China, um, particularly in Shanghai and Beijing, and it's really big among twenty somethings who come in from universities. They get a job in the city, and they don't have friends, and they use escape rooms in in a public ticketed environment to meet new people. Um, to possibly platonic, possibly romantic, but there's this whole subculture in escape rooms of this meeting new people and using the room as a way to gauge your compatibility with them. Um, so that's, they're, they're, it's just, I, I think, an interesting dynamic. Let's dive into that for a moment before we get too far into Corona, because that's interesting. So you're, what you're saying is that most of the industry worldwide, private ticketing means that people buy tickets with their friends. So they get a group and they go together. And the organizers only have to deal with the point person for that group, et cetera. Where in a lot of the U.S. and especially in China, they go to meet to meet new friends. Potentially, they go alone or in small groups, and then they kind of meet other people. Exactly, that's the way that it's been. And in China, there are there's an app that facilitates this process of meeting other people. Um, the industry is fairly unified, but that's also part of the. Um, governmental control layers that are kind of hovering over all industries. Uh, it, one of the upshots there is that it does make it very easy to bolt some kind of infrastructure on top that is otherwise hard to do in a, in a, in a harder to do in a, in a freer market. Um, but yeah, in the U.S., um, there's less of the social layer, although it can happen. It's more incidental. Um, my sense is in China, there's a feeling that this was uh, something that was intrinsically part of the experience. That's interesting. That is super interesting and, and something I was not aware of. Okay, but before we, we get stuck on that fact, let's talk a little bit more yeah. Corona. Because one yeah. thing is you say, this, of course, has led to more private ticketing. And of course, there were a lot of rooms that were closed because they were simply forced to be closed by governments. What now that the industry is starting to reopen? There, there are two questions on my mind that I'd like your take on. One is the digital escape rooms, those who are trying to move the experiences digital. And the second is the ones who are like the escape room in a box, people where, where you kind of the takeout of escape rooms, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have a, the escape room world is branched in all sorts of different directions as people just try to merge it with other ideas, which I love. I love the creativity that's born out of that. Um, 
for years, we've had tabletop escape games um, put out by major board game publishers and also hobbyists and small ma and pa shops alike. Um, and those range all over the place from just being card-based to ha- you know trying to have like actually recreate the feeling of an escape room by putting locked containers and things like that inside of a box and shipping that to you. So this has been a... Uh, a whole different business that existed existed long before coronavirus. When quarantine started happening, those games basically sold out globally. Uh, if you didn't have them in your possession within about a week of lockdown, you were pretty much out of luck getting them at all. It was crazy how fast wow. they were. Um, same thing with jigsaw puzzles, um, for what it's worth. The entire jigsaw puzzle industry just got bought out um, by by people anticipating having nothing to do. Um, which... <laughs> it's a, an industry that I wouldn't have thought in January. If somebody said, where should you get stocks? Where should you invest? And if somebody said, jigsaw, man, it's going to be the new thing. Just give it a month or two. I would not have seen that coming. The, the interesting thing about that is that the jigsaw puzzle had a massive boom during the Great Depression as well. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with people being kind of stuck at home, not having that much to do. This is an affordable thing, and you can trade the puzzles with other people after you're done. So it, there was a huge boom back then. And I, my guess is that uh, I, I, investing in jigsaw puzzles is probably a good stock tip right now in general. <laughs> okay, but uh, that's the 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 escape rooms in a box with a yeah. side note of jigsaw puzzles. But the other thing that I I that fascinates me is the the move to digital, or at least the attempted moves to digital. There was a one I saw. You might be familiar with it, where you as the players, instead of going into a room and trying to escape it somehow, you sit at home in front of your screens in different homes, and you are the the mission team guiding an astronaut. So there's one person in a physical escape room and you're like the five, six people for mission control and you don't control the character, but you are, you give the orders and the tips. So you're essentially like controlling the, the or, or helping the movie character on screen, so to speak. Yes, I haven't played that one in particular, but I've played many, many adaptations from the physical, the brick and mortar escape room industry needed to pivot real fast and in a hurry. And that took a few different forms. I think the most the the, the most um, interesting of which is probably these avatar-based games, or at least that's what we started calling them. And that is where you have a physical escape room where the business is closed down because they can't have customers, but the owner or one of their employees are strapping a a, a camera to themselves, putting putting it on like Zoom, and you buy a booking and you and your friends hop into Zoom and you just you kind of talk that person through solving the puzzles and they usually built some kind of digital interface that gives you a close up of the photos of um, you know what's what's in the room so you can see the puzzles more clearly uh, but it almost plays like an old school mud um, where you're kind of like telling someone all right go left and take a look at that thing pick that up and you know put that on top of it um, and it it, in some cases, it can be really, really fun. Um, one of the things that's lovely about it is that you can play games that you otherwise never would have been able to play. Um, I've been very lucky in that I've gotten to travel around the world to play escape rooms, but there are tons of games that most people would never get to see. And so I, 
it, it, we, we've been hearing stories from people playing wonderful games that they couldn't have afforded to fly to or for whatever reason couldn't get there. So that was uh, a really interesting thing that opened up. And there are other branches as well, like making online puzzle hunts or online games, cut and, you know, print and play games where people cut things out and they assemble things on their table. Um, all sorts of different creative approaches to putting some kind of product into market that just really helps these companies pay their bills that weren't going anywhere, even though their customers couldn't, you know, were, weren't able to come in. So one of these, this this movement, or at least this this testing out digital experiences that are suddenly available to people. I mean, I like that because you could have an escape room in Los Angeles and suddenly you have players in Hawaii as long as the time zones add up. And that would normally be, well, you said $30, $30 for the escape room experience, but then it's quite a few hundred for the flights. And now it's suddenly just the just the escape room experience, which is digital. It adds up quick. Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, from somebody who's traveled doing this, I would imagine that paying for the escape rooms has been the least. <laughs> oh, oh uh, that was a sneeze. That would has probably been some of the least of your costs. The actual escape rooms compared to all the travel. Yeah, so the the for me, and fortunately, we've been able to travel less expensively because we speak at conferences and all sorts of things like that, or at least before all of this. But yeah, it's the travel costs that'll really get you. The escape rooms um, are can be pretty affordable. It's it's the it's definitely the travel expenses. Um, the one other thing I'll add is what has been my favorite experiences of this whole um, lockdown have been the companies that dreamt up something completely new that they designed specifically for the online format, which appeals to me because I, I embrace like that, that LARPy notion of everything is a designable surface. And I love it when a company says, you know what, our real life game probably doesn't translate all that well. Um, so we're going to make something completely new. And the two that there's a bunch that come to mind, but the two that really keep coming to mind for me, one is the truth about Edith, which is a game from a company called Mad Genius Escapes in Portland, Oregon. Um, and it's a it's it's an online escape room. You play in I think Zoom, but it incorporates websites and a little bit of video. There's a little bit of acting, but it's not just a pure escape room. Um, it's really an online experience. And then the other is um, the Lost Temple from CU Adventures in Time and Space, which is in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. Um, and this is a cut and, uh, a print and play game that has like a point and click um, adventure game, like like an old LucasArts style to it. Um, and it's uh, it, it's just a, they're both really fun. They're approachable, and they are deliberately designed for playing at home, which I love. So one thing that just struck me while you were mentioning these two is that I mean it's fair to say that in the world of escape rooms, you are an influencer. You may live as a serious review reviewer and a hobbyist yourself, but when you say something or when other people on your site say something, there are people who listen. There are people who will look at what you do and what you what you recommend. And they'll kind of say, oh yeah, we should do that if we're ever in Illinois or if we're ever in Portland, Oregon. But now, I mean, I could go tomorrow and go in and try to book these two experiences that you just recommended, even though I'm based on the wrong side of the Atlantic. Exactly. Is, is this also... Do you feel that this opens up uh, a kind of a bigger 
support industry in the whole reviewing, influencing, uh, distributing, etc. Because suddenly now, being able to separate the the chaff from the wheat, so to speak, becomes even more important because there are so many more things affordable and available. It it yes, it, and it's it was daunting to us. We went from having really nothing to do. We were sitting at home catching up on our to-do list to all of a sudden there are hundreds of games and there are people, people are emailing us and saying, hey, can you review this? And we take our time with our content. We're, we've never been fast with our turnarounds. Um, i very open about, I spend more time writing a review than I do in the game, um, which is always an interesting dynamic. So we ended up bringing on a whole bunch of different additional reviewers from all over the United States um, to help us out. We created a new review format called Hive Mind Reviews, where we get three to five, three to six people playing the exact same game and giving a quicker take on it. Um, and it, we've also decided to run it as a little bit of an experiment because we've had this underlying belief that there aren't absolutes in terms of what makes for a great immersive experience or a great escape room. Um, there are probably absolutes for what makes a terrible escape game. Um, but we've always felt that there's a, a heavy personal aspect to this. And so we wanted to see if we get a whole bunch of people reviewing the same thing, what does the variation look like on that? You know, what, what, is it, what does it mean when we have five people reviewing the same game versus one? And, um, and it turned out, Sometimes there's a lot of agreement. Sometimes the disagreement is is profound. And I love that because I love living in that gray area and I love embracing that. Um, but that's been really interesting. Uh, and we've been trying to crank out reviews as quickly as we can in that format. Has this, because I know this is something you, you do other things besides this to pay the bill. Have you had a discussion with the other people in the company about is now the time that we we make the jump to full time, because if you suddenly now have hundreds of people interested in being reviewed, some of them must be able to and even be willing to pay not a lot, but a little mm -hmm. bit more than just the the cost of the experience. I mean, paying you guys to play a thing and paying a couple of hundred bucks for a review would be very little compared to what it brings in. On the other hand, it, a couple of hundred bucks goes pretty far if you're a, a kind of startup freelancey sort of set get up so we've we've been operating as terrible business people we actually pay for almost all of these games uh we never ask for compensation for a review um and especially in quarantine with most of the companies locked down we've tried really hard not to uh we've we've really not been asking for for, for free games even um we've been trying to do our best to support uh, my wife and i both run this site ourselves. We have we have our own full-time jobs. Um, and we've been working really hard as a kind of our second job to turn Room Escape Artist into a full-fledged business. And in that regard, the thing that we're working on right now is, is the Reality Escape Convention, which was the convention we were supposed to be hosting in Boston this August, but instead it's going to be free and on the internet um, <laughs> this August. Um, so if you're interested in that, it's realityescapecon.com. Um, but yeah, we are, we've been hosting escape room tours, which got, which have been very affected by um, that. That has been our primary way of making money through this. Um, those, those are real life gatherings. 
and that's gotten uh, disrupted by coronavirus. Um, our attempt at launching a convention has been disrupted by coronavirus. So yeah, our business on a, on a profound level has been affected and we are in the process of looking at different ways of monetizing. Do you, speaking of this, because this is also a business podcast, do you see that as a potential option? The one where companies pay you to do reviews, not pay you to do good ones, but mm -hmm. simply pay you to make sure that you're reviewing them instead of one of their hundreds of competitors? Or do you see that as, as journalistically problematic? For, for me, that would cross a line that we had drawn in the sand for ourselves. Um, and, and really, I think would call into question a lot of why people trust us um, is that we, we've just, we've always kind of had this approach of we will ask you, you know, we'll tell you we're coming and ask you for a media discount and whatever you say, whatever you offer us, we say thank you when we book. Once we decided to book with a company, we'll, we'll book. And we've been very open about the fact that if you offer us $5 off, we say thank you. If you offer us a full game, we say thank you. If you say, I'm sorry, I can't, we book anyway, um, unless a hurricane intervenes, which has happened once or twice. Um, but um, yeah, we've, we've kind of tried to select games based on polling the community. We, we have a pretty big network of players. Um, so one of the biases that exists in Room Escape Artists is that we bias towards reviewing better stuff. And we do that by doing research through the community itself. So as people tell us, hey, this thing is really amazing or it's doing something really different, um, that bumps it further up the list for us. Um, and so that's how we have handled our selection is by trying to shine a light on the stuff that's truly worth doing. And we try to spend less time waving the flag about stuff that is le less, less worthy of people's time. Got it. Uh, let's, let's stay on the business side for a moment here, David, because mm -hmm. let's take a helicopter view for a moment. That, that right now we've been talking the escape room business, but some of the things you've said, especially the one about now suddenly you're getting hundreds of mails from people who want you to review their stuff because it's suddenly now within your grasp. I mean, now basically everybody's next door, especially if you're in the right time zone. This applies to theaters as well. This applies to any sort of experience, especially live experiences that before was defined by geography. You didn't just pop into the concert house in Milano, Italy to, to catch a concert. And you essentially didn't get like top level New York Times reviewers there because they were on the wrong side of the planet. Now, as long as you do it in the evening and they're up, they're up a little bit early, it's pretty easy to, to get them into the seats if they're willing. Everything is just a click away as long as you have the right invitation. And of course, that means that you as reviewers, especially like top level reviewers, have let's just say that your your importance is growing, but this is the same for many industries. What what do you think, how do you think it, this should be approached with your learnings from the escape room industry, for example, theater or, or concert halls or any sort of thing where there's the same dynamic at play? What are what are kind of three good tips for other industries? So the, the big lessons, the things that I'm espousing to the escape room industry is the first is... In, more than ever, the quality of your product matters because it used to be if you're geographically locked, 
then you have some level of monopoly over your region. Um, and now every escape, at least looking at the escape room world or even the theater world, if you imagine just a giant shopping mall, they're all in the same building competing with each other. And so the difference between me going to yours versus someone else is really going to boil down to whether or not you're marketing better and whether or not your reputation is preceding you. Um, you can win out in marketing, but that will only last for so long. Um, it's the reputation of you and the product you're producing that's going to win the day in the long term. Um, I also am strongly recommending to escape room owners, especially those who are trying to host um, avatar games. What I've been saying is if I was an owner, I would be building a game in my basement. I would build a high quality, small scale game that was designed specifically to be played over camera in my basement. And I would do that so that I could work from home in the event of a second wave or something like that. Uh, so that you can work whatever hours you need. If you can get an audience, you, you never know where your audience is gonna catch on. And so if it turns out you have to become nocturnal because someone on the other side of the ocean um, wrote a piece about you and all of a sudden you're getting a ton of business from people a world away, figure out how you're going to serve them. And for me, the best way that I can do that is someone who has been lucky enough to work from home as a web designer is just embrace that. Um, so those are, those are kind of my, my high level bits of advice. Let's, Beyond let's unpack that, those for a moment yeah. because I, I want to get a third and a fourth one out of you, but let's unpack these because that's interesting. So the first one is what you're saying is some of the things that I've been seeing myself is it's a little bit more winner takes all because suddenly now everybody's playing on the same playing field. I mean, the internet is a winner-takes-all machine. Yes, very much so. And, and, and that is, of course, the case here, whether you're doing theater, escape rooms, concerts, anything of that sort. But the second point you make is super interesting, because before, if you ran an escape room or you ran a concert hall or you had a theater, it needed to have a storefront. And the storefront needed to have a physical location that was accessible. So you have theaters that are located, just to, theaters are kind of the oldest in, in, in compared to escape rooms, at least, that are located in like busy plazas and, and, and high, high rent locations, and they need to draw a lot of traffic because they need to be accessible. It should look a little bit fancy, and there should be a certain like ambience. If you look at Broadway or if you look at some of the London theaters, these are not out of the way in the boonies. These are in prime locations. This is good real estate. And what you're saying, if I'm interpreting you correctly, is that's not necessary when you're working. When all your customers are digital, then you could actually do it in the basement of your home, or you could you could just uh, kick the kids out of their room, put them in bunk beds in the living room, and then you could make their room into a Victorian stage or an escape room or a, a, a kind of home studio because nobody cares about your storefront because they don't see it. They come directly into the, the main stage, so to speak. Exactly. I mean, right now we're, you know, we're on Zoom. I don't know where you are. You don't know where I am. And it doesn't matter to either of us. I also don't know. I, I don't know if you have pants on and you don't know if I have pants on. It's not in frame and it just doesn't matter. So all of a sudden there's layers of stuff that becomes irrelevant. Um, and just ignore it. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. There are, but there are things that you have to focus on. And that is how you present quality content over the internet. And that means that, that means you can cut all of the, you know, all of those insurance costs and all of those rent costs and all of the, you know, all of the, the, the physical stuff, get rid of it because it's not, it's not affecting your online business. 
and that's where I think the other, you know, the other piece of this is that escape rooms are traditionally a one and done experience. You play the game one time, you never get to play it again. And escape room companies frequently have struggled with trying to figure out, well, how do I get someone to pay me a second time for something? And a lot of these online experiences are a good way to handle that. They're lower cost, but they're ten, my guess is that in most cases, they're higher margin. They're easier to roll out and they're easier to administer. And so if you scale up enough, you can run multiple at once. And it, it doesn't matter in the same way that a physical space has all those limitations. So I think even after and hopefully sooner than later, all of this is behind us, I think that the industry will be forever changed in a positive way as people think about how they can extend their, um, ex- extend their creativity into different formats that might scale a little better. I like that. And, and I think we're going, we're going to be ending in a short second because we're hitting the half hour mark. I felt like that was a good place to end. It, uh, was, it was a great place to end. And, and I guess what I want to end with is it should always be a little bit grand at the end. So I'm going to say that what we see is that there was the Silicon Valley computing and software revolution that was built in garages. And what you're saying, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, is that there is actually the possibility of the, ne- the digital escape room revolution being built in those same garages around the world. So and that's pretty interesting. I, to me, there's there's this, there's this been this beautiful like cycle that's been going on where escape rooms were born out of video games, Myst and Seventh Guest, which were born out of MUDs and you know Zork and all of those early, really early games. Um, and so escape rooms were a physical manifestation of, of video games, which for the last six years, seven years, has felt bizarrely revolutionary in a world that went completely digital, where everyone kind of owned all of the same things. We all have the same phones. We all have the same computers. Our material possessions no longer differentiate us, but our physical experiences do. And escape rooms became one of those experiences that you can do that sets you apart, that gives you something that someone else didn't have. Um, as we all get locked back down and it, it got, got locked down, they become, they, we start to look backwards at what, what are our video game roots and what does that mean when we mix that back in with the things we've learned about creating physical experiences. And so I'm, I am, I'm, I wasn't that excited to play Avatar games, the, the adaptations of the real life escape rooms, but I am very excited to see what gets born out of this as people start to get experience in this and figure out how to weave these different ideas together in more efficient and effective ways. I think it's going to be profound. And I love that I'm going to be able to play these games with my friends in Europe and in Australia and in Asia and not have to fly across an ocean and physically meet to do it. Those are the final words. You've heard David Spira, and you've heard me, Klaus Lustig. Thank you for listening.